0: Now, if you if you know me at all, you'll know that uh, I, I don't love the beach. You know, it's one of them things, it's, uh, it's pretty and all that stuff, but people, people seem to be shocked when I tell them I don't love the beach. And so I've learned over the years that instead of, instead of saying I don't like the beach and then having someone tell me all the reasons I should like the beach, I just say, I, say, I like the beach except for a couple things. And they're like, what? And I was like... Well, you know, except for the ocean and the salt water and the seagulls and the sand and the heat and the people. And uh, other than that, it's pretty good, right? Well, I want to tell you, I just described what a person does when they read the book of the Revelation without Jewishness in mind. When they divorce it from all the Old Testament references and images, when they when they divorce it from the the beautiful metaphors and symbols and truths that have been delivered to us through through Jewish history, through Israel, through Israel and Judah, uh, when they, when we do that, what you have is is like saying, "I love Revelation, <laughs> except for you know all the things that are Jewish about it." Okay, you don't love Revelation; you you just love the 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 words that you're calling the revelation, tonight is one of those places that, wow, we could hunker down and in every two or three verses, just really work our way through the entire Old Testament multiple times over, and I think I think what makes a lot of people struggle with this sort of metaphor and imagery packed with truth, is that. I think we sometimes forget that time means nothing to God. It just doesn't mean anything to God. You know, we're sort of bound in time, and He has created a time system for us. You know, every time the 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 Earth goes around the sun, or or, matter of fact, every time the Earth spins around in front of the sun as it goes around the sun, every every one of those spins is a is a day. But God's God stands outside of that whole system, and so if you can think about it. He's he's leading to these ultimate truths, and it's no problem for him to look at the whole of our experience and lay metaphor on top of metaphor on top of metaphor so that when he gets to the next truth, it's packed with pictures and legal precedences. It's just awesome. And so if you can remember that, if you can just remember the whole Bible, every bit of it, and all that God has said, and if you can just put in front of you all that you know God is going to do, no problem. you got Revelation. You got it? So everybody, they don't got it, do they? John, I think you're the only one that's getting what I'm saying. It's hard to hold all that in view as you're looking at one thing. You tend to just look at the one thing and forget it's stacked on top of a lot of things, and a lot of things are stacked on top of it. Tonight, we're looking at what's basically, what's basically, for lack of better terms, a break in the action during the time of the great tribulation, the last of the last days, and we're seeing that God's going to do a thing during this, during this break, and, and he's given it to us in a very compact story. For example, he's going to say, I'm going to get two witnesses, they're going to witness for three and a half years, I'm going to kill them, I'm going to raise them dead, bring them up to heaven, and it means something. So he's given us a compact story about something that's going to happen, and we've got to ask the question, why? And why is this so Jewish? You know, I'll tell you, it's so Jewish because it's so Jewish. Don't expect to go to the ocean and actually not be at the ocean. This is a very Jewish story. And we're dealing with events related to the future, but we're also telling it through imagery of the past. And so, Casey, it's no problem for me to see how some people can't decide which, 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 which lane to take here. And so tonight, I'm hoping that in the name of Jesus, if I confuse you, that the Holy Ghost will defuse you. Let's look at Revelation chapter number 11, and we're going to handle the whole passage. It sounds long. I mean, the whole chapter, it sounds long, but it's not. Beginning at verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told to rise and measure the temple of God and the altar And those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foes. I wish Steve Riley was here. I always look up at Steve Riley at these points. He's with family. Because Steve is just, I can see him. He's visualizing this. You know, he's just in this story. And, and I would look up with him, and he'd be somewhere over here, and I'd find his face. He would be loving this thought of fire pouring from someone's mouth. Verse 6. Or excuse me, middle of verse 5. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power of the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them. And do you see a church? Kill them. Wow. Gets worse. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three days and a half days, excuse me, for three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And they went up to heaven, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Just pause right there. Did anyone suddenly start hearing Handel's Messiah there? Every time I read it, I do it. He shall reign. Okay, we're going to stop. Verse 16, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty who is and was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign the nations raged but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding and for rewarding your servants the prophets and saints and those who fear your name both small and great and for destroying the destroyers of the earth Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. God, we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for a chance to be in this word. In the weakness of flesh, grant us the gift of preaching. May our being under the word be a blessing to our souls. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. There's a lot that could be divided. Uh, we could actually, I think, do a small Bible conference on the, uh, the 144,000 misconceptions born from Revelation 11. Uh, and since no one has to work tomorrow, I think it's a good time to <laughs> work through that. If you're retired, we'll still be here Thursday. Um. No, let me give you a few ideas and dip down into some of the details. And what I pray is that the big big truth will be a real blessing to you and the application that will come from it and that you'll be inspired to dig down into some of the details. First, let's see this. God doesn't miss a jot or tittle of the actions of those who refuse the Christ. I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 11 that God in John's revelation calls John into the action And he says to John, take this measuring rod, measure the temple, rise and measure. I want you to do a job for me, John. I'm involving you in this this work. He's teaching John. He's teaching the apostle John. The apostle John is and was teaching the church. Now, we're not going to get into all this, but you actually find measurements all over the Bible. I'd ask you to... I would actually urge you to just go do a a word study on things that got measured in the Bible. It's actually fascinating. I did. It was fun. But there's a measuring rod brought out in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 43. And uh, they measure the temple there. Now, we believe there's at least five temple periods. And we're not going to get into all that. But let me mention them and maybe whet your appetite for personal study. There's, There's the Temple of Solomon. And we know what happened there. There's the Temple of Zerubbabel, which is always just fun to say, Amen. And we know what happens there. And then there's the Temple of Herod, and we know what happened there. Romans destroyed it in 70 A.D. And many Bible scholars believe, and I'm not a scholar, but I'll join them, they believe we'll have the Temple during the time of the tribulation, and then you'll have the Millennial Temple. And uh, I, I think, I think what we're being asked to see here is the measurement of that future rebuilt temple. And John is being told to rise and measure it. And more than the size, it's how measuring something is often portrayed in the scriptures. It's this simple. Measuring something in the, in the Old Testament in particular often communicates ownership, communicates protection, and it communicates preservation. Now... Companies, companies will measure things very often. Michael Tuck loves to do this. You should ask him how much he loves to take what, Michael? Inventory. Wow, you sound just like your mom the older you get. That's eerie. Everyone loves inventory. You know, what are you doing? You're finding out if on the books, if on the books and what? You can lay your hands on are the same thing right what does the company own well this is a beautiful image of of God saying measure that temple measure the altar measure the people right and I don't tell you what I believe because I think we could we could chase a lot of rabbits here I believe this is just like what God was doing over in the book of Habakkuk in the book of Habakkuk in chapter three verse six we won't go there because if we go there what church I got to go there all right, but he, 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 told, he told Habakkuk to, to stand and, get this, measure the earth. And in the context there, God is saying, and I'm going to do with that as I please. There's also the other big image of measuring is measuring something to see what it's all about, to see what it's all about. Clay and I were out at the schoolhouse in Virgilina the other day, and Clay had discovered it before me, and he brought it to my attention we had mishandled a window, and, uh, and the window had fallen out and was broken, and thus my heart was broken, because these are expensive windows, or part of the window, not the whole thing, and, and Clay and I, we were, we were doing this thing, man. We were measuring it and getting numbers off of it, because we want it repaired, right? So we had to make sure we're going to order the right one, because they're all custom-made, and we, we didn't want to miss any detail, and so the old saying is, measure twice, and what see how many people know that right so there's this idea of let's get a real accurate assessment of what's there i I like the idea of inventory as an illustration now now what's the big deal here again i think we could do a series on this i think the big deal is god is saying yeah the earth is mine And whatever you build on, it's mine. And whether you build it for the right purpose or the wrong purpose, I'm going to show you it's mine. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. And I want to tell you, this is also just like that imagery you get in Daniel where he says, you're going to see the writing on the wall. Does anybody remember what it said? You've been measured And found warning. Several of you remember. So what's he going to do here? He's going to take a measure of something and and just see, see where it's at. Wow, this is kind of scary. Now, some people believe that the temple will literally be rebuilt and some believe it won't. I know this much. There's people all over this globe who are working to make it happen. I mean, right now. There are a bunch of people in Israel, honestly, who could care less there's a bunch of people who could care, couldn't care any more than they do. They deeply care. There's actually a huge committee with a lot of money behind it, always probing how they can make it happen. There are a great many people that want to see the temple restored. Will it happen? Wait and see. I believe it will. Some people take this to me. Now, I want you to be very careful to hear me out here because I'm going to... I'm going to jump down out of the the umbrella into the rain for a little bit. Some people believe they're going to rebuild the temple because it's God's way of saying he remembers the Jews. Okay, God's not going to forget the Jews. Somebody say amen. Another group of people say that the temple is going to be built, rebuilt, and it's going to be rebuilt by the forces of the Antichrist and those who worship there will, A, stand in a stark denial of Christ and in a stark embrasure of the Antichrist. That's scary. And there's another big camp that God is measuring right here because he's recording those who have the revelation of Christ but return to the ways of refusing Christ. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. He's taking a measurement because he's going to make a judgment. I just got back up into the high clouds I'm above the rain again he's taking a measurement because he's going to make a judgment let me give a quick point of application here God never does something for nothing he always has a purpose in mind when God would ask any of his children if God would ask any person to test yourself and to see whether you're in the faith it's because that's what he plans to do too Test yourself and to see whether you're in the faith. Second thing I'd like us to dig into tonight is this. The purposes of the two witnesses, okay, get this, this is revolutionary, are to be a witness and to proclaim God's purposes. They are called witnesses, and would anyone like to take a stab at another English word we get from the exact same Greek word? The word is martyr. Wow, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? They're called witnesses. Why? Because they are put here to be a witness, to give a testimony. It's not their testimony. They're given a witness of God. And it's interesting to me that they're sent as a duo. I think that's part of that Old Testament law that two people have to testify. It's good stuff. They are sent to prophesy. What is the exact content of their prophecy? If you can, hang around and find out. I'm kind of hoping I don't. What I know is we're not clearly told. And I'm not going to pretend that I know. I believe, in my heart of hearts, I believe they will talk about how Jesus has fulfilled all of the needs for the sacrifices that people are at that temple to make. I believe they'll preach the gospel is what I believe. But do I know that? I don't know. I think it, though. They'll be clothed in sackcloth, You know what sackcloth, anybody take a stab at this? Anybody know what sackcloth is a symbol of? Anybody? Mourning with a U. (laughs) Not AM, but sadness. So they'll be clothed with the symbols of mourning. These men will not come with a message saying everything's okay. They're not. They're going to come with a message of condemnation and judgment against wayward people. The notion that many people have today that God approves of everything is just incorrect. Church, say amen. amen. Now, we'll see they're going to have a ministry that's three and a half years long. And my life matters. I'm trying to get our staff to adopt this, this, this kind of thinking. It hasn't been working so far. But I, I want us to, to think of ourselves in, like where each one of us is, is like the burning bush. Not in the sense that uh, we are messengers from God, but that what God wants us to do is to so love the gospel that we never give up on telling it. Like, we just keep burning for the gospel, but don't burn up. We keep, uh, we keep after people. Hey, volunteer. Hey, give. Hey, pray. We just have this message that sort of stays in people's face till one day they go, man, you've been talking about that same thing for five years, and you just haven't given up. Maybe I'll listen. You know? And so you know lately I've been, I've been sticking in these little comments. You'll have to ask Mary Lou or, or Amy if they've noticed that I, I just say, hey, be the bush. be the bush. be that consistent witness to people. be that consistent testimony to people. Well, they're going to be for three and a half years, they're going to bang that drum. They're going to bang it for all its worth. They're going every day they're going to bang this drum, so to speak. I actually believe that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a principled application here. I believe that's, that's the chief reason the church is left on the earth, is, is, to, is to bang the gospel drum, to be the bush. Keep telling it, keep telling it, keep telling it, keep telling it. We don't give people life from heaven. We cannot make people believe. But I can tell you this much, brothers and sisters, it's up to us to speak it. And these guys are called olive trees and lampstands. Olive trees and lampstands, that's two different images. The the olive trees are an image of anointing. And the lampstands are an image of light bringing, bringing the light of God's word to a dark world. I'm not going to do it, but the more I studied this passage this week, I, I wrote a little song called Unction Function. It's to the tune of, anybody remember Jailhouse Rocks? It's to the tune of Conjunction Junction. Unction, function, what's this junk son spitting out gospel and killing off sinners? That's enough. Stop it. There's going to be this anointing on their life, this unction on these two witnesses' lives. And then there's going to be the function of their lives, and that's to be these witnesses'. And I'll tell you, I don't have time to preach on all of this, but did you notice what would happen? God is going to make these men's message so unpopular that he is going to imbue them with supernatural powers of protection. Whoa. No one is going to love this message. And by no one, I mean the masses. The masses aren't going to love this. Right? It makes me think of how... Jesus told the apostle Peter not even the gates of hell would prevail against his church. And people are going to try to kill him, and they're going to spit fire. They're going to spit straight fire. You say, hey, explain that. I can't. We've never seen anything like it. Which leads me to I could say so much more about this it leads me to our third thing. And I want, to, I want our third point to be a quote from Chuck West, Charles Wesley. He said, God buries his workmen but carries on his works. Isn't that awesome? That was the first thing that came to my mind. Some of you may know the preacher Tim Keller. Died a couple weeks ago now. And then the few days right after that, Harry Reader died. I enjoyed Harry Reader a lot too. First thing that came to my mind, both men. God buries his workmen but continues his work. Did you notice that for three and a half years, they're going to preach and it's going to be offensive? And if somebody tries to step to them, God's going to give them power to kill those people. There's a divine protection upon them, but there's going to come this day. There's going to come a day when the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, as verse 7 says, will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. It's a wild image. So when do they die? They die the moment God wants them to die. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about Psalm 92.10. Lord, Lord, teach me how fragile my life is. Or teach me to give me a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days that I might have a heart of wisdom. It's reckless living to go stand at the seat of the end times antichrist at the steps of a, of a temple where Jesus is not being honored and to preach an offensive gospel. And it takes the power of God to hold him up for three and a half years. And it takes the power of God to be taken off of them for anyone to kill them. But the beast that rises up from the pit kills them. Did you see how people responded to their deaths? They celebrated. They rejoiced. Now, on one half of me finds this extremely sad. These men did their, they, 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 these witnesses, they, they fulfilled their purpose because God gave them a purpose and so nothing is left undone here and their death is ordained by God. Church, say amen. What I find incredibly sad that these truth-telling witnesses are rejoiced over. Wow. They're not rejoiced over because their race had been run well. They're rejoiced over because they have stopped their talking. It literally breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I wonder today, I wonder to today, does the devil dance when the saints fall? I pray that the gospel is so much on my lips that the devil dances the day I go to the dirt. I want that to be my testimony. I want the wicked of my community to say, "I'm glad he's dead." I want that testimony. That will mean that I have had a great purpose and have lived a great life and have had a great effect by the power of God. While I've been praying about this, I've went ahead and asked God to give me fire for my mouth. So far, he has not done that. but. But then after they lay there for three and a half days, what happens? People Uh, don't want their bodies removed they want their 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 dead bodies to be seen there in the streets it's a disgrace it's it's improper A not handling of their bodies is not just improper it's unkind but jokes on you amen god tells the witnesses to get up from death and come up to heaven man good googly (laughs) movie i like to got pentecostal feet just then i'm just tired Good googity moogity y'all. Did you see it in the scriptures as I was reading it? After three and a half days, verse 11 says, a breath of life from God. Michael, I caught your reference when we began to sing. Hey, you know, Ezekiel sees that valley of dry bones and what's God say to Ezekiel? He says, speak to the bones. He asked Ezekiel a question first. He says, can these bones live? Anybody know what Ezekiel said? You You know, Lord. You know. You know. So you got these coarse corpses and there's children in the room. I don't want to be unseemly, but what would they have looked like after battling with the beast from the pit and laying out in the street for three and a half days? Probably looked horrendous. You know what I'm saying? what if he had gotten up wow it's crazy but this is god's way of working it's the miracle of awakening church say amen that's what god does and i think what god wants to do is to is to mirror his work in 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 the in the uh resurrection of jesus he wants to mirror his work in the ascension of jesus So that's what we see here. These these witnesses, they they get up. God gives them breath, and they heard a voice that says, come up here. I want to tell you there's an application here, and I pray you see it. This old cruel world might kill you, but you, you walk with the God who has the power of the resurrection. He's going to get you up and bring you home. That's why I love to preach a Christian funeral. It is very difficult to lose a loved one, but we have such a wonderful hope in the resurrection. And I don't know if anybody noticed it, but he calls them up and they went up to heaven. Verse, verse 12 tells us in a cloud and their enemies watched them and they were probably going like nananda boo boo Probably in Hebrew though. Anybody notice what happened next? There was a great earthquake, and it killed it killed a tenth of the city. Some people want me to tell you what the city is. It says it's the city where Jesus was born. I believe it's Jerusalem. It said, wait a minute, it said Sodom and Egypt. I believe they had become like Sodom and Egypt. Jerusalem, of all places, like Sodom and Egypt. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it's where people had come in partnership and become slaves. That's what happened in Egypt. They come in partnership and become slaves. That's what's going to happen with the Antichrist. I don't want to spend a lot of time this on Sodom. But Sodom was nuts. I mean, I think the theological term is nuts. Just read Genesis 19 tonight. Don't read it right before you go to bed. It'll scare you to death. Lot's, Lot's mind is so warped by being a part of Sodom that he thinks the reasonable thing to do is to... Children in the room... Okay, amen? Say amen. To offer his daughters for anyone's pleasure. Huh? That's how warped, that's how warped Lot's mind had become in Sodom. That's how warped, that's how warped end times Jerusalem will be. They'll think they have come for partnership and find themselves in slavery. They'll think they have come for pleasure and find themselves bound for hell. Whew. Wow. You, you would think we would be giving this testimony about someplace like Las Vegas or New York City, right? San Francisco, Oxford. I just seeing was anybody listening? I was getting scared. This is a scary scene. But I want you to see that in this judgment of the, of the earthquake and 10% of the city, is uh, a tenth of the city has failed, uh, 7,000. So it's telling you exactly how many people were right there, right there. You know, it was at least 70,000. But then, look at that. That judgment made many turn to the Lord. They, ter- they were terrified and gave glory to God. Isn't that amazing? Now I want to tell you, I see the time and I'm already terrified of myself. Some people will spend a lot of time trying to figure out who these two witnesses were. Some people will say it's probably Elijah and Enoch because they didn't die. They just went up to the Lord. Some people will see the imagery of Moses in their ministry and will say, I think it's Moses and Enoch, or Moses and Elijah. On and on and on. Some people will say it's some people even say it's it's uh it's the church in Israel are the two witnesses. And there's there's a lot of theories. You know, there's a lot of theories. This is one of them times you'll be arguing over the silverware and and miss dinner. Here's the point. And And I think it's fun to study all that. I should say that. I think it's super fun. Right? All right, let me tell you an aside. Just forgive me and see if you can handle this tonight. I love to preach on the prodigal family. You know, often called the story of the parable of the prodigal son. Amen. I think it's a prodigal family. That's a whole other story. I love, right? When people preach on that, it's not wrong to get into family dynamics. It's not wrong to get into inheritance dynamics. But the whole point of the passage passage is a chastisement against refusing to rejoice. That's what the point of it is. It's all good. I ain't mad. It's someone coming after me. That's all I need to know. So, People, all these people are coming to Jesus, tax collectors and, and sinners, you know, and the Pharisees and the scribes are angry about it. So you get to Luke 15, he says, let me tell you a parable. He tells them three. Parable of the lost sheep. Find the sheep, they rejoice. Parable of the lost coin. Finds a coin, gets their neighbors rejoicing, right? And he says, then he tells this story of this family, and the whole thing is, sheep, coin, son, why aren't you rejoicing? Man, Revelation is such rich territory to miss what's really going on. God is judging. God is actually judging with mercy. God is judging with mercy and with grace. You say, Preacher, I didn't see that nowhere. He sent witnesses. You say, well, yeah, he also sent an earthquake. Yes. And you see how the earthquake, after the ministry of the witnesses, caused many to give God glory. Don't miss the meal while being angry about your salad fork. Next, the seventh trumpet is blown and fresh worship commences, and if you don't hear anything else, hear that, amen. That seventh trumpet blows. I like verse 14. The second woe has ended. Whew, thank you, God. But behold, <laughs> there's, a, there's a third woe to come, right? I was thinking about that as we were singing stand up, stand up, stand up. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. Now, many people believe that this is the moment, this is the moment. Of the Rapture, a lot of people believe this is the moment where Jesus marches out of heaven. The doors of heaven is open, and, and he's coming out to to uh, bestow grace on his people, uh, bestow judgment on the wicked, inflict vengeance on his enemies. I'm not saying it's not. Here's what I'm saying: the trumpet blew. And they rejoiced in the sovereignty and reign of God. See, the, 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 if I was to tell you the truth, I, I'm what you would label one of these mid-tribulation guys. And so I agree with it. In other words, I believe the church is going to experience part of the tribulation. I believe it's going to come a point where uh, it's, 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 it's the only time we could sort of say you'll see hell on earth. Because hell's another place. But it's going to be real rough for a while before God just smooshes everything, right? But I don't want to argue about that because there's a greater point here. What's the point? The point is when this trumpet is blown at the judgments of God, at the wisdom of God, at the power of God, because of the reign of God, the creatures of heaven rejoice. Now again, I'll tell you if somebody says don't be tempted to think I'm evading anything. I, I, I believe this is a very special moment. A big moment. Now I'll tell you what clues I, I look at to see that. It says that the, uh, the uh, he's begun to reign. Well he's always reigned but what he means is he's going to reign over this. This temporal earthly realm and the, the nations have raged but that's going to start coming to an end because wrath is coming and and he's going to reward the servants and the prophets and the saints and those that fear his name. And he's going to destroy the wicked. I mean, he's going to come and finish what he started. So when this seventh trumpet is blown, we see worship from heaven. And then last but not least, and very quickly seeing the time, hallelujah, the temple is in heaven is opened and we are given a blessed glimpse inside. Did anybody notice just how verse 19 is almost just thrown in? God's temple in heaven was open, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. Wow. This is such a, a neat thing for me. And, and I think this is one of these moments where John can barely describe it. He says, Man, we saw it in there, and there was a storm like you ain't ever seen. Flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunders, earthquake. Man, there was stuff going on in there. The power of God in the temple of God, in the heaven of God, at the altar of God, where the throne of God is, there's the worship of God that can't even be described by the people of God who are bound to the earth of God. And John is saying, we got a vision up into there. We got a look into there, and it was incredible. Thank God that he gives us this glimpse to heaven. You ever notice that when people portray, portray heaven on movies, there's just people sort of floating around, and they're always playing harps, you know. They don't have banjos in heaven. I know it. I know it. I know they are. They have electric guitars. They're always, oh, ring. No, man, it's going to be wild. It's going to be so wild, we don't even presently have a language to contain how awesome heaven will be. She agrees. And they get a glimpse of the ark. You know what that ark, is? that ark is? That ark is the ark that the earthly ark is pictured after. That ark is so awesome. There in the temple of God, that John has a hard time describing what's going on. Let me tell you what. What we should see here, beloved saints of God, we should see that just like the veil was rent in the temple and the people of God were given access to God, here in the vision that God gives John, we see that the people of God will really have access to God. What was pictured on earth will be available in heaven. And it's more than we can handle. I think... And this is big. Don't miss this. I believe it's important for the Jewish people that we see the ark. I believe this is a direct sign to our Jewish brothers and sisters that he's not done with them. He's not done with their worship. But there's a reality that they must come to and that we must come to, too. We're only invited a second hand. They're invited first. Say, I don't like that. Well, argue with God. Amen. And I love, and man, I'm telling y'all, brothers and sisters, there's so much to be said here, so many pictures to paint. I stood above the clouds and only dipped down into the rain. This is what I know. This is what I know that I know that I know. God raised up some witnesses. They preached in tough circumstances. He sustained them until their work was done. The world killed him for the very thing God called him to do. God resurrected him, called him to himself, and he did not leave one single thing undone. Brothers and sisters, I personally believe that we've been in the last days since Jesus rose out that tomb. Somebody ought to have said amen right there. I don't know if you know it. Now, when are the last of the last days? Well, we've got a lot of signs. You won't miss it. You won't miss it. All right, you know, and if you happen to be around, if you see a couple guys in front of a a temple in Jerusalem wearing sackcloth, breathing fire, and preaching the gospel, hey, it'll be a great sign. And I believe if God wants me to see it, I'm going to see it. And I don't believe I need to know who they are. I believe I need to believe that God's mercy is going to keep sending witnesses until the very end. I love that, actually. Now, I'm in the last days. I don't know if I'm in the last of last days. I don't know exactly when they'll begin, but I know I won't miss them. Amen? I won't miss them. Too many signs. Right? But I won't unction and function in my days, too. I want to be faithful to the gospel now. Right? I want to be, I want to tremble at this truth. God might let me get killed in the ministry, but I want to celebrate this truth. He has resurrection power. Brothers and sisters, I have two urgings for you. To to the people of God here today, I would say what's important to God at the end is his message. So it seems like it should be important to us today. (laughs) Does that make sense to anybody but me? What is he taking a look at? What is he still sending forth, even in the worst of circumstances, his word? It should be important to us. Witnessing, you know, maybe I could get Ishrock in on my My Life Matters messaging. Be the bush. Be faithful. Be faithful. The other thing I would say to my brothers and sisters is believe it. Believe it. Not a single injustice, not a single unrepented of injustice on the face of this planet is going to escape God's notice. Hallelujah. There are so many ways that encourages me. Do you know how many millions of babies have been put to death? Do you know how many rich people are robbing the poor with their greed? Do you know how many poor people are robbing stores because of their lack of faith? We're, we're killing our earth. I mean, you can label me whatever you want to label. We're killing our earth. We're bad stewards. Man, the list just doesn't quit. We're more concerned about our culture than we are the kingdom. But God's not going to leave anything undone. He's going to rescue his people. And he's going to deal with the wicked. Part of rescuing me is driving wickedness out of me. Part of dealing with the wicked is putting the kingdom before them. My last invitation, do you stand outside of the covenant faith of God? Has this covenant. He's made several. The most recent and ever-standing one will be the covenant with Jesus. And the Bible says that you come into that covenant by faith. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And you remember that covenant so many ways, one by the continual presentation of Jesus as the Logos, his word coming over us. When we take the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood, when we see people baptized, death and resurrection, when we see, when well, we see people married, right? The words and the ceremony, preaching the gospel, Christ and his church. Everywhere we turn, Christian people, He wants our lives to be a testimony. And if you're outside of this covenant, he is wholeheartedly inviting you in. Being his witness may kill you. Being his child, he will resurrect you. Do you know Jesus today? And by no, I don't mean know about. I mean, have you made him yours? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and come into the covenant. It is the ark of God. And it is there that we'll be safe from the judgment. Let's pray. Father, as we together and individually, as we consider these things, you just want us to know you. Many of us, the vast majority of us in this room, we just want to love you. We know a judgment is coming, and it will happen in ways that we will find difficult to even explain if we live to see it. But we also know that Jesus is our ark. Lead your children to rejoice in a place and a person of safety. If there be any outside of this grace, give them life, give them faith, and bring them safely in. In Jesus I pray, amen.